The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, and a special, special thanks to Highmark, who is our sponsor, and soon, Bear, but right now I want to focus on Highmark. Thank you for supporting this show. We've had so many companies contacting us, but how I got started in my whole career was with Highmark, so it certainly is uh, wonderful to have you as a sponsor and to thank you. Well, I must tell you that as I was thinking about this show, I was out of town, and when I got back yesterday, I was thinking how much I look forward to this show, because I met this gentleman years ago, and let me tell you what, I have loved him more since I've known him. He is the most, he's a treasure, he's a treasure to everyone in the world. He is just a treasure. It is my great honor to have this accomplished, award-winning author, investigative reporter, speaker, filmmaker, and TV show now, in addition to being a great civil rights leader. Here he is. I love him so much. Edwin Black, welcome back to the show. And thank you so much for having me again, Joyce. Well, it is our honor to have you. Um, as I was telling someone the other day, you are one person that just, oh, had such an impact on my life when I read your War Against the Week. But since then, all of your books. I mean, it's amazing that every book you read, and I just want to tell any of you listening to the show, this man is known internationally. He's really a great man. You need to read his books. I, I can't just describe to you how powerful, well-written, well-researched, well-documented um, every book you read. Here it is. It's history. It's still a page-turner. I mean, get one of his books. And before I go any further, by the way, Edwin, how do per- people purchase your books? Well, anyone can go to Amazon uh, in any country in the world and purchase either uh, a physical book or a Kindle book, any of my uh, 11 titles. And uh, if they need an autographed copy, they can go to edwinblack.com. Oh, and I treasure one of those. Yes. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, Of course, you have been uh, extremely important to the uh, civil rights and human rights movement. You've you yourself have been a benchmark in the effort for for equality for the, those who are challenged and who are uh, trying to um, achieve as much as they're entitled to achieve, as much as they deserve to achieve, and uh, who have to overcome the prejudices and obstacles uh, in our society. So for that, I salute you. 
Well, thank you so much. Um, and Edwin, you, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned with all of those books, you've written about so many different topics, but there are several uh, where Nazi Germany and the horrific things Hitler did um, show connections to the United States in history and, of course, this horrible genocide. For all of my listeners um, who do not know you, would you mind first sharing with them what made you do that? Well, uh, of course, the story of my parents is well known. My uh, mother was pushed out of a train on the way to Treblinka, and my father was a, uh, a forest fighter, a partisan, and um, uh, it was their survival uh, that uh, gave rise to me, and I always felt it was my goal to not only um, uh, find out what happened, but why it happened. And in that sense, I've been able to follow the money, follow the power, and uh, in, and undertake some of the uh, historical archaeology and excavation needed to expose some of the real cul- uh, culprits. Um, who got off and who got off scot-free. Now, there were five key corporations in the United States that actually determined the size and scope of the Holocaust that ultimately killed uh, six million Jews, and even World War II as it engulfed and decimated uh, perhaps another 35 million human beings uh, across, across the continent. And first and foremost would be the Ford Motor Company, which um, formed an ideological alliance with Adolf Hitler, even before Hitler came to power. Um, uh, Henry Ford, uh, of course, America's most prominent and virulent anti-Semite, led the way by inventing the concept of the international Jewish conspiracy in his fake protocols of the elders of Zion. And it, and it was Hitler, even while he was in jail um, in the 20s, uh, this is uh, more than uh, half a decade before he ultimately came to power, um, who said, Henry Ford is my idol. And uh, it was Henry Ford that gave... Adolf Hitler, the compulsion to not only conquer territory, but to conquer a wider enemy, and that wider enemy was this mythical international Jewish conspiracy, which led Adolf Hitler, of course, to go into uh, every country and first and foremost seek out the Jews. Uh, the, the second company, uh, the, the, the second corporate entity uh, which made its mark in the Holocaust was the Carnegie Institution, which really invented the concept of the quest for the master race. It was the Carnegie Institution in, um, in the first uh, uh, two and three decades uh, of the 20th century, indeed years before Hitler ever came to prominence, that... Um, invented this concept of eugenics, American eugenics, which was the quest for a white, blonde, blue-eyed Aryan master race. Now, they called it Nordic in the United States, but Aryan and Nordic ultimately became um, conflated in Hitler's mind. And it was the Carnegie Institution that promulgated the idea 
that all of society's ills were dependent uh, and functions of people's uh, uh, genetic and uh, uh, hereditary makeup. And so you were... Um, uh, you weren't uh, born into poverty. Poverty was actually born into you. You didn't fall into prostitution. You were genetically predispositioned to be a prostitute. And these men thought uh, in the first two decades of the 20th century, which is, of course, years before Hitler came to power in 1933, thought the best way to achieve uh, a... Um, uh, a, a, um, a beautiful state was to eliminate those who they associated with the ills of society, poverty, criminal action, prostitution, feeble-mindedness. And their idea was to cut away, uh, eliminate 10% of the American population at a, at a time. At that time, there was 14 million people. And they presumed that if they kept cutting away uh, uh, um, one-tenth of the remaining population at a time, eventually there would be no one left except those who resembled themselves. This, indeed, was only the beginning of the genocidal nightmare that the Carnegie Institution inflicted upon the United States. The uh, solution, the remedy, the methodology, the roadmap, to get rid of these millions and millions of Americans, perhaps 99% of everybody in the United States, was uh, originally public gas chambers. And when public gas chambers could not be legalized, they um, sought for and, and institutionalized through legislation in, in 27 states, forced surgical sterilization, um, concentration camp-like internment in various colonies, marriage prohibition, marriage unwinding, where they would um, avoid your marriage if they didn't like who you married, and many other tactics and techniques for eliminating uh, those in our society that they deemed were insufficient uh, to uh, exist in, na- in, in nature. Ultimately, Hitler studied these school, these school books, this philosophy, and ultimately, he implemented the Carnegie Institution's uh, notions with great ferocity and velocity and sterilized not the 60,000 that the Carnegie Institution ultimately um, propelled in the United States and some 27 states, but Hitler did hundreds of thousands, and Hitler went beyond that. He did the gas chambers that the Carnegie Institution, which recommended them, could never implement. And so we actually see that uh, Hitler actually was engaged in something more than uh, a, a world war, which was based on territorial conquest and economic plunder. It was actually a race war, a genetic war. It's exactly what he said. It was a quest for a master race. Uh, he used to say, Rassenblut, Rassenblut which was race and blood determines everything. But that was not a, a Nazi slogan. That was actually borrowed from uh, one invented 30 years before by the president of Stanford University, one of the leading uh, eugenicists of his time. And, he, and it was even Hitler uh, and his cohorts who made famous the remark 
that that national social socialism Nazism is just uh, biology in action. So that's the second of five. If you go to the third of five, you go to the Rockefeller Foundation. The Rockefeller Foundation, uh, while it was a partner with the Carnegie Institution, the Rockefeller Foundation actually supported directly Hitler's Nazi doctors. And these were people who believed in extermination. They had white coats and sort of brown shirts. And they believed in concentration camps, not uh, so much to work people to, to, to death, but to exterminate them. And this included Atmar Vischur, the chief Nazi doctor in, in uh, Nazi Germany. And Vischur had an assistant, and his assistant, uh, his name was Josef Mengele, and Mengele went into Auschwitz to finish the program that his Rockefeller uh, fellowed boss, Atmar Vischur, had started on twin research. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that this Rockefeller Institute, that this was also connected with, how do you pronounce his name, the doctor of death? Mengele. Yeah. Of course. Uh, the Rockefeller oh. Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation was robustly funding twin research, especially the twin research of the Nazi um, of, 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 of the supreme Nazi doctor called Atmar Vishore. And this is why when Mengele, who was uh, Vishore's assistant, went into Auschwitz, he had all these bizarre twin experiments where he would um, put a, a brown eye, uh, in, 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 inject a brown eye with blue and a blue eye with brown. He would uh, uh, infect one and not the other. He would do live autopsies. He would fuse the veins and arteries. All of this was twin research. It was not as, uh, as Frankensteinian as many people think. It was actually an attempt to, to be a, a, a clinical scientist. And indeed, there were weekly reports going back to Atmar Vishur by motorcycle courier every, every day. So that's the Rockefeller Foundation. Oh. And um, so then we go to, to the trucks. Uh, how did Hitler... Uh, get into automobiles, into motorization? How did he get off the horse? And the answer is General Motors. Oh and what God. did General Motors do? General Motors built the Blitz truck for the Blitz Krieg and even uh, um, arranged to station uh, spare parts along the Polish border just in, just in the two-week period before uh, Germany invaded Poland and started World War II. Uh, General Motors also made the uh, uh, the motors for the JU-88 bombers, uh, the torpedo warheads, uh, landmines, um, parts of the Panzer tanks. And so from the land, sea, and air, General Motors rained hell down on all of humanity. And they did it through a uh, f- fake interlocking board of directors. They owned a company called Opal. And um, oh, and they pretended that Opal was independent and had its own board. But the fake board and the fake management of Opal was reporting directly to um, uh, to its president in Detroit and New York, uh, Alfred Sloan, and to a certain degree his partner Kettering. After the war, they burned all of their papers, Sloan and Kettering, and tried to undo their problems. Uh, or clear their conscience by forming the Sloan Kettering Institutes. Um, during the war, how, however, 
Sloan was eager to actually defeat American de- democracy and use General Motors to do it because he resented uh, FDR. He resented integration. He resented um, uh, the Roosevelt family allowing African Americans into the White House. Sloan was a huge uh, racist. He was a fascist. He was a fascist, and ultimately felt he had to become the arsenal of of democracy and help arm the United States when it entered World War II, because it had already been the arsenal of fascism and Nazism, starting from the first moment in 1933 and going right through to, nine, uh, to 1945. So eager was Sloan and General Motors to provide Adolf Hitler and the Nazis with the wherewithal to conquer Europe that they actually took payment for raw materials and supplies by accepting German pencils and Christmas lights instead of money so they could sell these in Latin America and then collect the the proceeds. So that was um, General Motors with the the motorization of the Third Reich, with the um, invention of the Blitz truck for the Blitzkrieg that made the Nazis realized that they would have to have automobiles in order to invade Europe, and of course this led to the um, uh, to the um, uh, to the highway system in Germany, and ultimately Germany's quest to invade the Middle East to obtain oil. And the fifth entity, of course, would be IBM International Business Machines, which co-organized and co-planned the Holocaust, all six phases, the identification of the Jews, their expulsion from society, the confiscation of their assets, the, um, uh, the ghettoization, the, um, uh, the um, deportation, and even the extermination of the Jews. The Auschwitz tattoo began as an IBM number. Ultimately, it uh, evolved into, some, uh, into something else, but it began as, as, as an IBM number. This was all done under the micromanagement of its president, Thomas J. Watson, and now IBM is attempting to rescue this sociopathic war criminal's reputation by renaming many of their products and giving game shows um, uh, the devices called Watson, but if it were not for, I, for IBM using their punch card technology, since there were no computers at that time, and punch cards could store any information in um, uh, or or data about any process or name or location in the holes that were punched in the rows and columns and then read by special readers. If it weren't for IBM, we would have a, a an enormously different Holocaust. The astronomical numbers that we know are actually the Hollerith, the IBM Holocaust. There always would have been a Holocaust because Adolf Hitler was determined to destroy the Jews. But you might have to ask, what kind of a Holocaust would it be without these five things? What kind of a Holocaust would it be without uh, Henry Ford's um, uh, international Jewish conspiracy that compelled Adolf Hitler to invade nations and go and and, lo- and and locate the Jews first. What kind of a Holocaust would it be without the Carnegie Institution's quest for a master race 
that made Adolf Hitler feel that the Aryan, the German, uh, was destined to have dominion over all others, and he was entitled to massacre and murder all the Jews, and of course many of the Polish and Russian and other groups too. What kind of a Holocaust would it be um, if... The, uh, uh, if the Rockefeller Foundation had not been able to uh, finance the uh, philosophy of uh, human life being less than human, which is what the Untermenschen was, what the subhumans were, which is what they believed in and what they financed through their Nazi doctors. You might also ask, where the heck would the Holocaust be on horseback? if GM had not given Hitler the trucks to drive into town and to gather everybody up. And where, of course, would the Holocaust be if Hitler didn't have the names, the names in alphabetical order? And it's for this reason that I uh, say, and I wrote in many books, Nazi Nexus is one of the books. I did this in IBM and the Holocaust. Um, I did this in internal combustion in my book on eugenics war against the weak. Um, uh, I have uh, said for years, and I've been sustained, and uh, there have been no rebuttals from these corporations that it was these five corporations not trading with the enemy, not selling oil and uh, needle and thread to the Nazi regime, but it was these five companies that determined the size and scope of the Holocaust. Uh, you know, Henry, I mean, Edwin, every time you hear me talk about Henry Ford and all these people, it just takes my breath away. And the fact that no one has come after you for saying this. Well, uh, it's very hard to come after someone for the truth. Right. And uh, I've been very, very careful with my documentation. The uh, uh, IBM has withstood the test of time. It, there's 1.2 million copies in print in more than 60 countries in 14 languages, numerous editions. Um, this book sells uh, every day still. It's now being made into a, a major movie. Um, and uh, all of these other books, Internal Combustion, uh, what I wrote about GM, uh, I did get what is fashioned an apology from General Motors. Uh, there's never been uh, a syllable of rebuttal from Carnegie and from Rockefeller. So ultimately, the truth hurts, but, but by knowing this truth, we're able to move forward into the bright light of, um, uh, of, of equal treatment for our, for our neighbors. At the end of the day, it's human rights, it's, his, it's history, and there's no future without knowing our history. Well, I just want to, I want to say several things. Number one, as I said, it, it is absolutely horrifying and astonishing. I want to mention IBM and the Holocaust. Oh, I, you know, I just was, I just couldn't believe it. I believe it, of course, but I couldn't believe thinking about that, that Hollerith machine and everything you talked about, and, now, and GM, all of these people. Uh, but I want to start by saying to all of our listeners, it, it, you know, I know we have listeners 
throughout the United States. And by the way, thank you for such a strong following that we have these major corporations now sponsoring the show. But um, if you have not bought Edwin, Edwin Black's books, buy them. You know why? He's our hero also. He is the hero of many people, but also people with disabilities. Start by reading War Against the Weak. Every time I hear Edwin talk, I think, well, thank goodness I didn't live then with epilepsy because we know what would have happened to me. You've got to read this book because am I right also, Edwin, weren't people with disabilities the first people exterminated? Yes, actually, um, the people with disabilities were the first ones to be targeted by the Carnegie Institution and the Rockefeller Found Foundation, and this gave great credence and inspiration to the um, Nazis, and the first ones to fall in Nazi Germany were actually the second ones to fall. The first one to fall were the Rhineland bastards, uh, approximately 400 uh, Africans who had married into German um, families as a result of activities in World, in World, in World War One, but after that, the first group to uh, to be nationally targeted were those with disabilities. It was a very cruel, arbitrary, swift, and self-assured uh, extermination, and um, th- that lies at the um, nameplate of the Carnegie Institution, which actually helped devise the Nuremberg Laws. Um, Harry Laughlin of Missouri was given an award for his role in determining these percentages, a half a Jew, a quarter Jew, a third of a Jew. They, they were able to, uh, like the eugenicists in, in America, were able to um, invent diagnoses that didn't exist. The concept of imbecile, uh, moron, Idiot. These were not insults. These were scientific terms developed by the Carnegie Institution and used by the Hitlerites and the American eugenicists to dehumanize our, neighbor, uh, our, our, our neighbors. Remember, there's no extermination, no conquest, unless you can match hate with dehumanization, with the fire of money. And that's exactly what was done when the Carnegie Institution put its millions into this hate industry. And Adolf Hitler was one of the chief beneficiaries and uh, followers. Oh, my God. Uh, As I said to all of you listening to the show, this man is our champion. Read War Against the Weak. Read his other books. Start with War Against the Weak. You'll see what I mean when you read this book. But when you think about it, how there have been so many struggles, how, you know, people with disabilities and poverty go hand in hand, how 70% of people with disabilities are not even part of the workforce. And if you think about the fact that in the United States, in the early 1900s, there were these laws called ugly laws, where people who were unsightly beggars, people with disabilities, were actually put in jail. And then you hear Edwin talk about the eugenics, the sterilization, you know, you can see how this all started with this view of people with disabilities being weak. You can see where that came from. And that's why I'm saying, don't, when you hang up, 
you go to Amazon, you run out and you get one of his books. And I am going to be saying this frequently on the show because it is Edwin that really made me think deeply about all of this. So, Edwin, why do we not read any of this in our history books? Well, then I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> uh, uh, well, obviously, the only reason, we know why. The only reason not... I get to write these books and the only reason I get to do these radio shows is, 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 is because no one else uh, has the guts or determination to expose uh, these crimes against humanity and against our nation and against society. But I have, and as a result of doing, doing that and doing it with precision, uh, I b- believe we have uh, forfended some of the next genocides, some of the next perse- uh, per- persecutions. We have um, provided sunlight into a very dark chapter of, uh, of the United States uh, history. And interestingly enough, I've taken that same philosophy of fighting for human rights, and I've applied it to my latest book, which is Financing the Flames. And you could find out more about this book at financingtheflames.com. And what I've done is I've investigated the human rights groups who, um, uh, and the NGOs who are taking tax-exempt monies and found out and documented that many of these human rights groups are, in fact, doing the, the, the opposite of what our tax money was designed to do, which was to promote peace and reconciliation between Arabs and, uh, and Israelis, Palestinians and Israelis. They're, in fact, fomenting conf- a confrontation. In many cases, our, our tax dollars are actually paying for specific terrorist acts, specific named terrorists, uh, who are being rewarded with terrorist uh, uh, with salaries by the Palestinian Authority? The more people you, you kill, the higher your salary goes. And this is courtesy of the American and European taxpayer. We've identified the specific organizations like the New Israel Fund, the George Soros Open Society Foundations, Ford Foundation, and many others who have um, who, while they're doing much that is good and uh, funding many uh, dozens of, of important NGOs and humanitarian groups which are, help, which are helping women and, cho- and children. At the same time, they're following a political agenda. And so dozens of these groups funded by the New Israel Fund are actually engaged in activities which I believe would be illegal in the United States, discriminatory in the United States, and which major parliamentarians in Israel and military men say are, are designed to destabilize the Israeli Defense Forces and wipe away the Jewish identity from the Jewish state. Now they have a right to their political views and they have a, uh, a, a right to be agitationists, but what they don't have a right to do is go into every man, woman, and child's pocketbook and finance a war chest based on tax-exempt deductions because every million dollars in tax-exempt money that the New Israel Fund and these other groups raise uh, is subsidized by $440,000 in, um, uh, in revenues 
by the rest of the United States. Imagine what that $440,000 could do if it were spent to promote peace and reconciliation and or uh, peace and reconciliation at home. I'll just give you an example. Uh, one group is identified as, rab- as rabbis for, hum- for human rights, but what they do is protest when, when Jewish people move into a certain neighborhood in, 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 in Jerusalem. You couldn't do that in the United States. You couldn't protest uh, a person with disabilities. You couldn't protest uh, a, a, a family of color. You couldn't protest a Catholic group or a, um, uh, a Jewish family moving into any house in Boston or, 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 or New York or, or, or San Francisco. But you could do it in Israel thanks to this perverse view of human rights. There's another group called uh, Adala. They're constantly working to undermine Israel's Jewish identity, to get Israelis prosecuted for war crimes, for defending themselves against incessant terrorism, even while ignoring the terrorism that's inflicted on, on them by numerous rockets uh, that might come uh, uh, every day or every, or, or, or every week. There's another group called uh, B'Tselem, and this group is providing cameras so that um, agitators can dance around, repeat, dance around Israeli soldiers, sometimes only five inches from their nose, uh, weigh, um, uh, 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 take children, uh, sometimes uh, 9, 10, 11 years of age. Their mothers push them into M16s of the soldiers. They train their kids uh, to, uh, um, for incitement, and the kids drape their flags on the Israeli soldiers' face mask. And then when the soldier finally reacts, they put this up on the Internet. They use it for boycott, divestment, and uh, sanction. And the Israeli soldier, because of the timidity of the Israeli government in reacting to um, this kind of predicament, the Israeli soldier doesn't get the same zone of personal space that a meter maid would in Washington, that a traffic cop would get in midtown Manhattan, or that a meter reader would get in your town, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, No one must be afflicted by human rights groups, and all humans have the same human rights. And it is for this reason that I've been able to reach into my knowledge of history, reach into my determination to to achieve human rights for all people, and pull the cover off of, of this. And in the last three weeks, I have visited three parliaments in Europe and Israel, the British Parliament in London, the uh, uh, European Parliament in Brussels, the uh, Israeli Parliament called the Knesset in Jerusalem. I'll be appearing before Congress in the coming days, and that'll be four parliaments in four weeks, um, uh, exposing this and asking for changes because Americans are putting their money into the Middle East for one reason only, to promote peace and reconciliation. But there can be no peace because peace doesn't pay because uh, confrontation and terrorism are actually the bumper crop. We may as well ask the Saudis to stop drilling for oil. This This is what they do. But there are many 
who wish to live in peace and uh, coexistence on the Israeli side, on the Palestinian side. Trust me, those voices are there. 30,000 Palestinians each day go into Israel, uh, uh, spend an hour to get to their jobs, and they get their jobs. But these people are marginalized. These are the real heroes, the ones who are living the dream. And so I'd love for you to ask me some questions about this, Joyce. Well... Actually, this to me is astonishing. Tell us more about that. Well, have you heard about the ruckus about SodaStream, a company? Yes. Called, uh, all right. Now, SodaStream is uh, a factory, and uh, it's um, a little bit beyond the green, the green line where Jerusalem is, and it employs Arabs and uh, Israelis under equal pay and equal conditions and equal advancement. They're feeding thousands of Palestinians through uh, the uh, hundreds of Palestinian workers that are on the the payroll. And this is said to be an international war crime by the likes of Oxfam. Uh, Why? Why Why is that? Why? it's anti-Semitism, and I'll tell you why it's anti-Semitism. If this factory was being operated by Mormons from Utah, or Mennonites from Indiana, or Polish nuns from Warsaw, they'd be up for a Nobel Prize. This is the ultimate peaceful coexistence. But instead, they're run by Jews. And we cannot fail to stand up to the same institutionalized hatred that we saw in World, in World War II, the same institutionalized dehumanization that we have seen against the disability community, and not understand what is happening here. On top of that, apparently, there's been a huge distortion and abduction of international law and the human rights movement in Israel, which is why I came to the fore. Once again, the New Israel Fund is very involved in, 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 in this. They um, are a gigantic uh, 501c3, which is a charitable organization. They have mustered as much as a quarter of a billion dollars in the last several years to give out to some 800 NGOs. And amongst those NGOs, uh, until 2011, was an organization called the Coalition of Women for Peace. And the Coalition of Women for Peace was establishing a worldwide boycott infrastructure. Now, the uh, New Israel Fund is run by some of America's finest, brightest, and, um, and most distinguished Jewish perso- uh, personalities. And many people give to the New Israel Fund. I even gave $18 to the New Israel Fund because they believe that they are engaged in good charitable works. And they are engaged in good charitable works. But we will not judge them solely on their good help for battered women and for um, people trying to rise out of their ethnic group in Israel. Israel has so many ethnic groups. We must also judge them on the fact that millions of dollars are are, uh, spent to fund these groups that help uh, create this enormous obstacle to peace, the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement, and, of course, the destabilization of the IDF, and, of course, the attempt to wipe away the Jewish state. 
and it and it's taken a certain uh, what Israel Hayom newspaper called uh, a great deal of moral courage and journalistic integrity. I'm quoting them for me to do to to do this because they are known to roll over people. Unfortunately, they can't roll over me. If IBM could roll over me. Uh, if they couldn't punch me away, and if GM couldn't uh, motor me away, and if Carnegie couldn't, <laughs> couldn't sterilize me away, uh, certainly the New Israel Fund is not going to do it. And we have had resonance with the legislators in London, in Europe, in Israel, in the United States. And people are finally aware that our hard-earned taxpayer money is going to fund an entire political wing which is not seeking um, uh, peace and reconciliation uh, between two peoples in two states, but something very, very different according to the um, uh, m- most informed comments of the leading m- members of the Knesset and many, many members of the Israeli military uh, who went on the record in my book, Financing the Flames, to um, express themselves and to sound the uh, the uh, the alarm. Um, by no means would I like to see these organizations disappear. Just as when the Ford Foundation was funding hate groups in Durban, South Africa, about ten years ago, uh, we didn't want the Ford Foundation to disappear. We just want them to stop doing the bad stuff and keep doing the good stuff. It's the same with the Rockefeller Foundation. They were doing lots that was very, very good in, in medicine and in, and in social care. We recognize that. But, but even the most philanthropic man uh, who is engaged in genocide, who is engaged in a disruption, in terrorism, in confrontation, whatever the name of the organization, we have to um, speak truth to power. And this is what I've been doing for almost 45 years, speaking truth to power. My book came out, Financing the Flames, on on November 1st. Um, There hasn't been a single utterance of a factual disagreement from anyone anywhere in in, in the world. And I'm very proud of that. And uh, it's been an uphill battle, but it's not one that I'm unaccustomed to waging. And that is why I wrote Financing the Flames. You know what? I have one word for you, and that's courageous. You stand up for what you believe, Edwin. You know that? I, I, you stand up for what you believe. To me, you are a great man in so many ways. And this Financing the Flames, we're able to get that at Amazon.com or at your website, Correct. Yes, it's best to get it at Amazon.com. You get it in England. You can get it at, uh, in the United States and Canada, really anywhere in the world. Amazon.com is one of our greatest partners uh, in this process, and they have uh, been helpful every hour of every day since the first moment that the book came out, which, of course, it came out on November 1st. Uh, my first event was in the House of Representatives, uh, in Canon, it was broadcast live by C-SPAN, and um, uh, it's been shown and rerun by uh, Book TV and C-SPAN uh, several times since. And um, uh, until, like all of my other books, 
from IBM to the transfer agreement to the Farhud, which uh, described the Arab-Nazi alliance in the Holocaust. It was embargoed, so no one was even knew it existed until the day it, it uh, came out. Indeed, um, they, uh, Amazon even agreed to withhold the cover art until just a few hours before the book was released. Wow. That is unbelievable. That so kudos is... to uh, Amazon yes. uh, and to the many other organizations uh, ar- around the world who have, who, who have been so helpful in this process. Um, traveling around the world on Financing the Flames, I've been to uh, London, I've been to uh, Brussels in the last uh, several weeks, I've been to Israel, so many people who I didn't even, even know just um, uh, walking with me through the corridors, connecting me to others, um, working with me to help um, uh, proliferate this information through, through the media. And we've already had a, um, uh, a, a Polish minister, excuse me, a Polish member of the European Parliament propose to the European Union, the European Parliament, that, um, that the funds to the Palestinian Authority should be abrogated until such time as they stop this, these official salaries to terrorists. And those salaries constitute some 5 to $7 million a month. That's about 6% of the Palestinian budget, and that money comes from donor countries. And if you add in the other emoluments and compensations that go to terrorists, named terrorists, people who are actually rewarded for acts of terrorism and whose salary goes up by the number of people that they kill on a sliding scale. It's If you add in the wedding benefits, the scholarships, the football teams, and everything else, it comes out to some 16% of the Palestinian budget. We have to wow. ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, are we paying for peace or are we financing the flames? Yes, right. Yeah, and, you know, I have to ask you this question. Edwin, do you think, will they start getting your books in universities at some point? Well, my books are course adopted at universities all over the United States and all over uh, uh, the planet. Uh, War Against the Week, for instance, is taught in university courses from Dershowitz in Harvard to uh, Edelman and Chico. Uh, IBM and the Holocaust is taught in many college courses. Um, the, uh, my energy books, Internal com- com- Combustion, British Petroleum and the Red Line Agreement, these are taught in energy and environment courses all across the United States. I do about 300 speaking events a year, mainly to college campuses. Uh, anyone can go to my website, edwinblack.com, and click on events 2014. Even when I visited you in uh, Pittsburgh, I also uh, did speaking engagements at Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. I remember and, that. And I believe there was another university there. It might have been the University of Pittsburgh. I forgot. So it is very common for me to, uh, to address university camp, uh, campuses from coast to coast and, indeed, internationally. When I went to Israel a couple of days ago, I had a major speaking event at bar University. So, yes, the, camp- the campuses, as well as the communities, as well as the congregations, 
have all intersected with my book. And this is very gratifying to me because it gives me the opportunity to speak truth to power and to embolden and strengthen uh, the good people in, in the world who also wish to speak truth to power and perhaps don't have the answers. I give them the answers to the uncomfortable questions that no one wants to ask. Financing the Flames by Edwin Black. Make sure you get that book right away. Edwin, um, what is your hope that your legacy is? What do you hope it is? Well, I can't achieve what I wish because the world is still pretty lousy. Uh, I would like to see people live in peace, but there's no money in peace. And so people can make more money by being cruel. I would like everyone to understand where they have come from in order to evaluate where they are going. Um, uh, I did make a few changes. Uh, I I did um, uh, shine a torch in many dark areas. And when you carry a torch, it's an ipso facto. You realize you're walking into the darkness. Remember, if there's no darkness, there's no need for a torch. And that is what I do. So I don't know um, how many people there will be in our future world, who are capable of bringing all this information about oil and genocide and 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 uh, and ethnic rights and human rights uh, to bear? Right now, we are facing a world of massive information and a very small, getting smaller portion of knowledge. And if our information keeps getting larger and our knowledge base keeps getting shorter, then I think our ability to sustain ourselves as a civilization will soon be in complete jeopardy if it isn't already. Oh, Edwin, Edwin, you are the torch. That's sad when you think about it, though. I mean, that's sad what you had to say, that where we know there's anguish, we know there's money to, as you would say, finance the flames. So, so sad. Well, well Edwin, thank you very um, much for having me, Joyce. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We want to hear what message you want to leave with our listeners today. But before we do that, two quick questions. One, you reported that you've heard that IBM and the Holocaust has the possibility of being a film. Is that correct? Yes, uh, it has been reported that uh, a film is being made, uh, a major feature film of IBM and the Holocaust. Oh, because you know that would be riveting. That would uh, be that would be mm-hmm. just unbelievable. So well, I look uh, forward. I look it, forward to seeing that. If uh, if the right people get involved and do it the right way, it'll be uh, another turning point moment in the history of uncovering the cruelty that uh, certain corporations have inflicted upon the world, and they did it um, not for uh, anti-Semitism or National Socialism, but they did it for the money. And this is what we need to understand. Hate stays in the room, 
unless there's money. And when money is brought to the to the uh, uh, to the to, to the to the table, then hate has the opportunity to self-replicate, to multiply itself, to make itself a, a towering enemy of all man of all mankind. And so, I guess the question at the end of the day is: when we say such things as "never again," I think we really mean that never again should. Uh, uh, American muscle, uh, corporate ingenuity, uh, taxpayer money, uh, American know-how be used to afflict innocent civilians. Such powerful, powerful words. Uh, First of all, everyone, go out and buy Financing the Flames. Edwin Black's new book, and of course, War Against the Weak, IBM and the Holocaust, Transfer Agreement, Nazi Nexus, all of them. They're all listed um, and in his website and Edwin Black at Amazon.com. Again, everyone listening to the show, do yourself a favor, buy that book and buy it from someone else. Download it from Kendall, Financing the Flames. Number two, in conclusion, Edwin, on behalf of all 53 million Americans living with disabilities, I want to thank you for what you're doing and what you've done. Thank you for being one person that has included us. Thank you. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at Voice America. Dot com. Don't go away. Don't leave before you buy that book. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.